Comics Therapy, episode 76. No reviews, just analysis. I'm Aaron Myers, and my co-host, as always, is Andrea Shockling. Up this week, two comics from March 4th, 2015. Universe, with an exclamation point, number two, and Descender, number one. In between segments, listen to another second opinion. And, just as a reminder, we never do reviews, but we do talk a lot, so there may be spoilers ahead. I hope that the next time that Universe is published, he actually writes it, Universe with an exclamation point, because I think that really flows off the tongue. It does. (laughs) Welcome to Comics Therapy. Neither Aaron nor I are licensed therapists, so don't take anything we say seriously. This week's theme is artificial intelligence, and how it's rarely the smartest idea, as it turns out. We're talking about at least two books, where the best robotic intentions turn out to be the worst for their human makers. And yeah, I said at least... Because in addition to the comics Aaron mentioned in the intro, I can pretty much guarantee that I'll be bringing up some other recent titles for contrast. Artificial intelligence is a hot topic these days, in the news and in comics. The singularity is upon us, kids. Don't be scared. Hey, hey, this is John, Burnwieners on the Twitter. And I don't want to say that I'm the reason there's a comics therapy, but both Aaron and Andrea wouldn't have the show if they had not exploited the platform and... And the opportunity I gave them to be on my former podcast. And they came on, you know, tried out the whole podcasting thing, figured out they could do it better than me, and then they struck out on their own. So you are all welcome, and somehow I don't even get a producer's credit. Started reading comics at a pretty young age, uh, maybe around five or six, with uh, hand-me-downs from my father and sisters, uh, things like Richie Rich, uh, Disney Comics, you know, that that type of thing. And then a few years later, my sister was picking up X-Men and Superman, and I really got hooked on those titles. And eventually, you know, I, I branched off into the, the wider world of comics. My sister is the one that really got me into reading comics, and she doesn't really read all that many anymore, but I always try to send her at least one for uh, Xmas every year. Each episode, in between comic segments, you'll hear one listener answering a series of questions, sharing his or her favorite comics, creators, and more. We call it a second opinion. If you'd like to play along from home, you can leave your own response for us to use on a future show. The prompts are on the website, comicstherapy.com, and you can call, Skype, or email your mp3 to us. Remember to read comics responsibly, kids, and always get a second opinion. I read comics in a variety of ways, but mostly in collected formats and print now, uh, which is a pretty big shift from even a couple of years ago when I was buying most things in the monthly floppy format. Uh, But I do still frequent and buy the majority of my print stuff through Alter Ego Comics in Marion, Iowa. I do love web comics, so I read plenty of those. And then there are, of course, a handful of, uh, well, handful seems a bit small, um, maybe an armload of digital first comics I do pick up that way and love reading them on my tablet. Um, I am one of those dirty comic readers that love the guided view, and it's pretty much the only way I want to read horror comics that depend on reveals for the creeps. So yeah, I I pretty much hit the spread, whether it's you know a stapled together photocopied comic 
all the way up to something pretty experimental like, I don't know, let's say Peanuts in Skywriting. Who knows? I'd give that a shot. In between shows, you can find me on Twitter, at Andrea Shock and Aaron, at Aaron Myers. The show account is at Comics Therapy. How are you, Aaron? So great. Really? Yeah. It's a lot of things in, in the works. A lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I also, hmm. I watched another comics movie last night. What movie was that? I watched Super. Have you seen it? Um, years ago. It's super fucked up. It is. Oh my gosh. I had no idea what I was getting into, and I'm still processing it. I know that sounds kind of lame, but I generally am not entirely sure how I feel about it. Well, that's okay. I mean, you don't have artificial intelligence. It takes you longer to kind of figure things out. This is a true fact. But it did make me wonder, like, how... How super fits into, like, the James Gunn canon. Like, it's just... <laughs> is it part of, part of the Marvel Universe? Is that your question? It's not, but damn. Just thinking about how that was made before Guardians, and, and I mean, it's the same It's the same guy. Very, very different tone. Very, very different approach. Do you just assume everyone is, like, one note? I don't. Thanks, you're being a dick. I just mean that sometimes you <laughs> well, can that see... Well, that's my consistent, you know, that's my consistency, so maybe that's part <laughs> of it. You just expect that from me all the time, so you assume that's, you know, how everyone else operates too. Well, I, I think that a lot of times with, with directors, though, you can see, like, a, a stylistic choice that's consistent, or, uh, you know, sometimes the, the lack of, of a stamp is a stamp in and of itself, but he's a relatively young-ish director, or new-ish director. And so, I, I, I don't know. In, in a complete vacuum, I would never have said, hey, the guy who did Guardians also did this movie. It's a fun, feel-good romp. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's <Sure>. not. <laughs> no. No, I don't remember it a ton, but I remember watching and going like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting. Exactly. It was incredibly (laughs) intense and takes the strap on the superhero mantle, uh, like, I guess, meme and and just fucking stomps on it and explodes it. And it, man. Yeah. Like I said, still processing it. I think I liked it. I think I liked it a lot. I just (laughs) am not sure that I want to watch it again anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like a a realer, quote-unquote, like, version of, like, Kick-Ass. I hate Kick-Ass, for the record. Yeah, I think mo- people are either in the hate or... <laughs> Go ahead. Most what? What were you going to say? Most... I was going to say most unenlightened readers might hate it. What were you actually going to say? No, I was going to say you're either in a hate it or love it camp. Did I, you read the I'm, books? Yeah, I've read them. Do you I think like they're the really movie? good for what they are. No, I don't, I don't think I hated the movie. I think the movie was like a go it was like the books. Right, okay. But it, it I mean, you know, that genre or I would say that era of Miller Millar, um <laughs> the this different you know, you have to make the distinction because right. there um is it's its own thing. Hmm. That is the most non-committal. 
I think like Kick Ass and Wanted, not the movies but the books, mm-hmm. are very, very geared towards people who like the ultra violence. Yep, that's um, not me. No, and it's not necessarily me either. I don't think they're bad. I think they're I think they're really good for for what they are in that regard. Mm. Okay. And I think the movies kind of reflected that too. I think there's some pretty um, unsavory things about them, yes. but it it doesn't like none of that. Those books kind of took away my respect for Mark Miller, which is weird. Okay, so those books didn't take away your respect for him, but like you you don't have any respect for him, right? Like we're no, on the same I do. page with that. No, not at all. I think he's like one of the best creators of the uh, modern uh, time. Uh, okay, I'm dying. We get it. We got to change the subject. We got to We got to no, move we on. Don't. Talk about something else. Why 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 no, do you hate No, him? no, for real. We're not We can talk about him at some point in the future. I'm sure that everyone would love to hear both of us wax philosophical on that subject, but it's not going to happen today. Should we just look up angry feminist in the dictionary? Yeah, that's and fine. That's your argument? Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Okay. What else? You know, I'm just wrapping my head around convention plans. Sure. We're going to put a moratorium on talking about that, though, because it's two plus weeks out, and um, I don't care enough yet. And we've talked about the, like, dribble of it already. So we're going to touch base and, like, do a breakdown next week. But for right now, just assume that everything is progressing as normal, and we'll see you in Seattle. Probably. Okay. Good Good. Good plan. Anything okay. else? I don't think so. You had a really busy work week. Are you recovered from that? No. Have you consumed enough alcohol to dull the pain? No. Why aren't you drinking right now? Because it's, while we're recording this, 10 o'clock in the morning. When has that ever stopped you? Like, always. I'm an (laughs) alcoholic like you. That's a fucking lie. I don't drink this early in the morning. Mm, I think you have. Lately, I drink so much less than you, Aaron Myers. That's because you're you're working now. And you have to get up at 4. I love that implication that I wasn't working before. You did, like, he's put on, like, school plays or something. I hate you so much right now. I don't, I've lost the ability to communicate how much (laughs) I loathe everything about you and what you stand for. Look, I am the mirror that reflects back the truth upon you, and if you hate me, you just hate yourself. That was very poetic. Do you want to talk about comics? I guess. I got nothing else to say. Okay. Up until a couple months ago, I would have said my favorite ongoing title would have been Unwritten. Uh, Even though I really don't think I have a well-rounded literary background to get most of it, I I really enjoyed it, but sadly that ended. Um, So now I'd have to say Six Gun from Oni Press with uh, creators Brian Hurt and Cullen Bunn. Um, I'll fess up right away, and and there was an arc that it really wasn't my cup of tea, and I was actually thinking about maybe jumping off of it, but that turned around, you know, within an issue or two, and and the rest of it's been all butter. And I, I think a lot of it uh, is because of three really important factors. Uh, first, the, the creepy and horror-filled worlds, uh, they fill this sick niche for me. You know, second off, I'm generally filled with dread when each arc is coming to a close because you know the book is going to take a pound of flesh from one or, of, or, or all the characters before it's all said and done. And three, the characters themselves. 
they've all gone through evolutions that make perfect sense, and nearly all of them have, you know, the spotlight on them at one time at least. And with that spotlight, you get to see both how magnificent they are, but that light shining on them also shows all the cracks and ugliness as well. It's just a stellar book, and, and I'm going to be sad when it's gone, but absolutely delighted to give it a reread. Our first book this week is Universe Number 2. Created by Albert Montes, Universe is a series of self-contained sci-fi stories hosted digitally by Panel Syndicate, also home of Brian K. Vaughn and Marco Martin's Private Eye. It's silly to do a recap for what is essentially a one-shot, but just to give a little bit more context to... Because I wasn't familiar with this. I didn't realize that uh, Panel Syndicate was hosting additional comics. So, first of all, Aaron, thank you for, for pointing that out. And I'm glad that we're talking about it. Yeah. So hopefully more people to, will be aware of it. I'm happy to let you know about comic books. Yeah. In case you thanks. don't really pay attention. Are, are you done? Yep. Okay, cool. But because this is a, a one-shot and it... It's a relatively light man. I can't say it's lighthearted, but <laughs> but it's not particularly dense. I don't I don't want to spend a lot of time recapping the intricacies of of the plot except to say that keeping with the theme of the show today, we've got essentially artificial intelligence that stops acting in a predictable fashion. We have a a system in society where people tend to the majority of people tend to have companion robots, soulmates that are robotic in nature as opposed to um, carnal, which I thought was hilarious. The way that the like human to human partnerships were referred to as carnals. Mm-hmm. And what happens when the robots physically love their people to death? And and so that's sort of the the premise is that some mm-hmm. of those those people companions to the soulmates are being loved so hard they're being crushed to death or they're being i mean that 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 was that's what kept happening there was a lot of like very vigorous hugging oops your head popped off you know that sort of thing yeah yeah and so i guess like examining the system in place in society that gets you to the point where the primary partnership is robot to human but then also like the underpinnings of the like programming that would allow that error to occur that there would be too much love too much too much robot love (laughs) (laughs) or that the emotion i don't know like i i like the conceit of this that we we all we kind of attribute love as a unique human emotion Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. but I wonder if it is a separately programmable kind of emotion or because because it's something we lie to ourselves about, maybe. We lie to um, ourselves about love? Uh, yeah, in certain ways. So there's a very poignant exchange in the middle of this story between a soulmate robot and his human partner and they are out with two carnals and mm-hmm. and it's it's a kind of hilarious uh twist on that perception with the the humans being kind of judged and like oh god you had actual sex how does that work it's so unhygienic and so on and so forth 
but the conversation about free will in that exchange is lovely. It's like, oh, wait, so the fact that this guy doesn't have to always be with you, that's something to be, that's something to aspire to, that's something to be happy about, fuck you. And like, that's basically what causes that particular robot to go on the fritz and extra physically love his his soulmate just to prove that he loves her so much and then he kills her. I feel like that is a very heavy-handed but but also kind of lovely twist on that that notion of love essentially being free will. And so when you have an artificial source for that emotion and you're removing the aspect of that that is uh, by choice. Like, what does that actually mean about that emotion? Well, I think it. I think if anything, this and most kind of artificial intelligence stories are really kind of that exploration of, you know, we've programmed something to mimic the human experience, but isn't that really just kind of show how we are programmed ourselves? You know, we're, we're the sum of our programming. That free will is, is an illusion. But we've talked about free will before. And we've talked about the importance of the illusion of free will versus the actuality of free will. Okay, but is creating something... Is creating an artificial intelligence that's supposed to be as human as possible? Or do we want that? Like, if we were to create, like, in this, in the, this instance replacement partners or you know artificial partners because i think humans would be fine with that given enough time to adjust to that reality doesn't that just show how uh, we don't really need the human experience normally my response would be that that is just horrifically depressing yes but then you're looking at it i think you're using too much of your emotional um programming to to not really you know think about it analytically that's why i said normally okay. normally my response would be like fuck you aaron why are you acting like a robot about this <laughs> but at the core of what you're saying there's there's some ugly truth to it if it's well, replicatable yeah. and it is preferable if the emotional bond is is there and a lot of the baggage is not, why isn't that ideal? Right. So, just... Or or if it's not, a, if no longer becomes ideal, you make adjustments. Yeah. Okay, so then contrast that with, and I, I warned you I was going to do this, mm-hmm. Alex and Ada, which we talked about a while ago, but we haven't talked about more recently since that artificial intelligence in question was given the opportunity to pursue free will. Yeah. And in that regard, the conceit for that book is that free will exists. And the conceit in this book is that it's not necessary. That it's not necessary or that it's just another, it's a programmatic anomaly Hmm. or it's a patch that's kind of like in our DNA to, to help us, like, for the illusion of free will is necessary for the human robot to continue to thrive. Right. You know, like, 
humans don't thrive within a prison. So if we were, if we were so aware of the prison of kind of reality, I, I don't think humanity would do well. It's very Matrix-y of you. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of, sure. I mean, in a lot of ways, like people in the Matrix, I, I had a, had a, you know, like free will isn't all or nothing. I, I don't think so either. But the steak is really good. Right. I mean, there's there's the trade-off, right? So if the, you have the illusion of free will, and mm-hmm. in universe you have, like, all of the trappings of a loving relationship without without the the anxiety of it ever ending. And so mm-hmm. I would I would say that that is the illusion of free will. That's like a construct that is close to, but not exactly, <laughs> what you would want. I think some people would would happily make that compromise. Hmm. Just because of the stability? Yeah, the stability, the, the um, emotional kind of, you know, it's not... Relationships can be very emotionally taxing, right? Yeah, but just because they're they're emotionally taxing doesn't mean that they're not worth it. Sure, but I don't know if everyone would agree with that. But in Alex and Ada, you have sort of a combination of both. You have the potential anxiety. You have the potential, like you have that taxing trial. You have to work through your problem. It's not a guarantee. And yet it's still artificial. It is, but is is natural is natural the human experience anymore? Well, like wait a second. Let's define what you mean by natural and what I mean by artificial. Okay, I mean we have the natural world, the world that is not created by humans, mm-hmm. which we we could say we have rose you know risen out of or separated ourselves so much from. Okay, and then there is the you know the natural world like. If, if we didn't have the kind of higher consciousness, the ability to use tools, our brains evolved to the, you know, to the points that they have, the animal world has very, you know, kind of defined survival, you know, patterns and characteristics. And mating is one of those. Okay. But mating and having an emotional relationship are not the same. True. And which is which is kind of the I guess the discussion we're having here. At a certain point, does technology evolve to where where mating is no longer necessary? Mating as as in terms of like procreation, or physically physically putting your genitals together to create another human being. <laughs> it sounds like, and I, I'm making a leap here, but it sounds like in universe that's not that's not a necessary part of the equation. Right, right. Because I would even argue. At, in a lot of the world now, that's not even necessary. Well, wait, wait, wait. Okay. So necessary, like as a, a requirement, certainly, we live in a time when that is not a physical requirement. But we absolutely live in a time where that is the majority. Like that's, yes. that's right. the way babies are made. Aaron, I don't know if anybody ever <laughs> talked to you about that. Sure. Yeah. But it's you don't have to make them that way. True. You don't want but like to. in universe... They have clearly gotten to the point where that is that is a a memory that like the mm-hmm. physical like sexual contact is not like between two humans is not the norm. Yep. So I think that we can we can sort of extrapolate from that and, and assume that like babies aren't made that way either. 
True. That's all, that's my question. So like Alex and Ada, universe, you know, whatever else you want to point towards, like is that is that the future of humanity? But I don't think that that's true in Alex and Ada. I think that that's the the distinction between a world like in universe, a world like in Alex and Ada, and a world like we actually have now. But aren't they three different time points? I don't. I don't think so. Mm, I don't. Think I would so. say that they are. If you were looking at an evolutionary path, we are we are where we are now. Alex and Ada is, say, you know, in in terms of a true, you know, time passage, maybe a hundred years from now. Okay. And universe could be a thousand years from now. So what happens between that hundred years and that thousand years, where that notion of free will and artificial intelligence, uh, kind of supersede one another? Like where, where the artificial aspect, the manufactured connection trumps the emotional free will. Um, I think when humans are born into a world where comfort, their comfort is so, is so um, taken care of. So it's that, just a, that like all a hierarchy other... of needs sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Huh. You know, if you don't have to do anything and you were brought up in a world where you don't have to do anything, there's not a ton of motivation to do anything. Yeah, but we talked about this two weeks ago when we were talking about, like, dystopian futures. And, and like, how is that any different from what we see in universe? Is that actually, is that ideal? Or is that another version of dystopian just seen with rose-colored glasses? Because... I would say universe is very dystopian. Okay. Like, we don't... We don't even need the illusion of free will anymore. It's it's a distant memory. Huh. Okay. So is sex, apparently. What a fucking bummer. Well, you're just an animal in their eyes. <laughs> Rutting around in the dirt. <laughs> I'm very clean. Shut up. Like a caveman. Wow, you just mixed crazy, <laughs> crazy analogies there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what it says. I mean, we're, we just don't have the we don't have the prognostication to see what the future holds. Okay. But I think we have evidence in other areas where living in a first world society and having access to so much kind of stuff, we see the consequences of it. I mean, look at America and look and look at the problem with obesity because we have access to so much kind of cheap food. Okay, and. Everything is in a, like, available sort of at the micro level. Like, you don't have to actually go and acquire it on your own. Uh, you don't even have to walk to get it. You can drive to get it. Or get it delivered. Or get it delivered. There's nothing wrong with that, dude. Delivery is <laughs> okay, well, fucking bomb. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> fine, but you can see the excess that we live in. And it might not be sustainable, but you could see kind of humanities um, or societies sort of natural escalation towards the reliance on artificial intelligence to make the big picture decisions you're just to, we just don't care anymore like we don't need to grow our own food and so most people don't hmm okay you know it, it's a it's a uh, it's an industry just like I mean emotion changes too so like you know 
finding finding available food sources would be on that hierarchy of needs, like having food. Of course. So finding a a suitable genetic, you know, com- genetically compatible mate, another one of those. But if we have something that supersedes that that need or is better than the original kind of our, our DNA's sort of push, you know, that that meets what the DNA wants plus more. Uh, I'd say the original, you know, the original model doesn't look as good then. That's sort of fascinating, especially because of the the timeline that you, and, and it's not canon or anything, right? <laughs> but this now to Alex and Ada to universe timeline where that transition time is is like really dodgy. The acceptance of like actually artificial is better. There's a lot of resistance to that. I mean, that's sort of the the, the primary premise in Alex and Ada that the artificial intelligence is not as good or better than the real thing. And mm. what, come on. That, no, look, I would say in Alex and Ada, the, the reason that that has become is because our create, it's, you know, it's the Terminator problem. Yeah. It's the, the, that technology, a sentient technology turns on its masters. Right. But, but that's like, that's the, public transition time like that's that's predictable but if in if in alex and ada sentient aware robots were coming out and saying please don't hurt me you know i can think i can feel as opposed to like we're going to kill the humans because you're you, you've been making us slaves that you know it's like dave too like yeah yeah and and i think it's a good lead-in for descender as well Sure. But I'm saying that the leap from now to Alex and Ada, and then from Alex and Ada to universe, that transition time, like that buy-in for the humans to accept that artificial intelligence is superior in all ways, that, mm. that we're going to rely on artificial approximations of all of the human necessities, and we're going to be okay with the the artificial companionship and the artificial emotional attachment and the artificial relationship, like that's a big fucking leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think given enough time and enough generations to go by with, you know, uh, my parents find smartphones to be cumbersome and they don't understand them. I never have my phone out of my hand. It is now like basically grown into my hand. Yeah, I'm the same way, but my parents use their smartphones. So what do you Okay, saying? so say their parents then. <laughs> That's true. That's certainly true. So, you know, one, one, two or three generations back. Like technology is, is rapidly evolving and it is, it is integrating itself so much with our society and so much with ourselves that it will become very indistinguishable quickly so there's a point where it's not artificial anymore where it just feels natural and the natural is what feels artificial right well i mean we're we've gone from the natural like what whatever what nature what the earth has evolved to be able to create to humans now being able to make their own evolution mm-hmm. on, on in a pretty rapid pace using technology mm-hmm. okay it's a little so, scary i 2024, I'm voting for our first robot president. Dude, you said 100 or 1,000 years in advance. 
Well, I'm ahead of the curve. I'm going to start <laughs> writing in Hal 9000 for president. <laughs> Not except. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else yeah. about universe? Any other like big questions about the nature of love or fate versus free will or, you know, how basically machines are going to kill us all? I don't think they're going to kill us all. I think they'll just have sex with us until our will is gone from too many orgasms. They're going to love us to death. I can think of no better way to go. Huh. Yep, yeah, let's talk about our second book. Okay. For my second favorite title, I, you know, current title going, uh, I, I'd probably have to go with the Federal Bureau of Physics coming from Vertigo. Uh, it's done by Simon Oliver and Robbie Rodriguez. It's re- so far a really fantastic series, and it feels a lot like if you mashed up Sliders and X-Files. Um, okay, I can't think of a third, but I don't know. Let's say if like Warren Ellis's brain took a, a rank morning shit after an all-night bender and that got somehow crammed in there. Uh, and the art and coloring is so gorgeous. I'm honestly not much of a neon, you know, type guy. Like, I, I, I don't want those neon poppy things. But it works so well for this book, and I, I just love it. Uh, there's just so much glowing, so much popping, so much stretched, unrealistic anatomy, and uh, I unabashedly love it. Plus, one of the best visually represented snowstorms I've ever seen in a comic. You just have to check that out for yourself. So if you want a comic loaded with crime, science, and... Weird mind trips, definitely give this one a go. Our second book this week is Descender Number no. 1, written by Jeff Lemire, with art by Dustin Wynn. Lettering and design is by Steve Wands. Descender is published by Image Comics. I have to point out that we are talking about a number one, and I really have to point out that you're the one who recommended it. Mm, just because it, I just needed something to say other than what your original you know recommendations were i didn't make any recommendations about this theme you are the one who proposed the idea as well as the books and you are also the one who so vehemently opposes every single other number one issue that i bring up so i just want everybody to know that you are just as much of a hypocrite as i am that's all that's all yeah i mean just as long as everyone understands it that you brought it up i I didn't bring it up at all. You No, no, no. You bring up number ones, so therefore I have to say, no, we, I don't want to do a number one. If I decide we want to do a number one, then it's fine. Patriarchy. That's not hypocritical. No. <laughs> that, is, that is consistency. <laughs> I am operating within the parameters of my programming. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you. So. Do you want to apologize now? For what? For attacking me like that. I didn't attack you. I just told you, like, how it is. Okay, let's just talk about this book. Okay. This is Descender, number one. And I, it's very hard for me to do summaries of both of the books that we're talking about today because that, like, this is all we have. We have a single issue in both cases, although one mm-hmm. is a, a one-shot. The other one, as we said, is, like, the introduction to a story. But like the previous books that we've already mentioned, we've got a society in the the distant, distant future. We have an intergalactic society where the nature of robot and human interaction is like linked very closely together. We have uh, 
We have robots who are helpers. We have robots who are companions. We have robots who are pets. And then something goes wrong. And so like the Terminator problem, we've got robots who are killing primarily other humans. And that's an that's a intergalactic event that occurs. We, we get a little bit of setup for it, and we know that that event happens. We know that a large number of the humans are wiped out. And then we flash forward 10 years, and we meet a small boy who turns out to not be a boy. He turns out to be the last remaining of the like child companion robots. And, uh, and, and what next, right? Did I forget yeah. anything about the, the general premise of this? That seems to be the premise of it. Thank you. Um, it reminded me a lot of AI. I've never seen or read AI. I don't think AI was a book. Uh, I think it was. I think it started as a book, didn't it? I don't know. I'm sure we could look it up because it's You don't not read, interesting. so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but I, I distinctly remember at the time being like it being a Steven Spielberg original screenplay. Uh, whatever. Epic. Shut up. And kind of falling flat in a lot of ways, but... But it's that, this goes to that, that whole companionship thing of, because if we make a robot to look like something that connects with us emotionally, so just like Alex and Ada, or AI, or now Descender, if we make a robot that looks like a little boy, or a puppy, or something like that, mm -hmm. We're going to be a lot more trusting than one that looks like it has knives sticking out of every, you know, corner and a laser beam gun for an eye. Well, so that's sort of interesting because the robots in universe don't look like people. They're not androids. No, but they're people shaped. Sure. They're not, they're not boxes with wheels. Yeah, but that's a big, big leap. It's still recognizable. Like okay. they have a, they have, you know, they have somewhat of a, a face, they have a head, they have arms, they're, they're humanoid. Okay. But yeah, I mean, Descender is a, you know, that, that looks like a little boy until we find out he's not. Mm hmm mm hmm You know, just like AI in, in the movie, it's the same thing. It's like we, we emotionally connect to that. Did you just spoil AI? No, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. <laughs> yes, I spoiled the first 30 seconds for you. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, the movie that came out like 12 years ago. Like, like Small Wonder? Yes, just like Small Wonder. Okay. That's, that's an even better comparison. And a much more powerful one. Plus a really great song. Yeah, that's true. It's wonderful. <laughs> but all of that. I mean, it, it, we, I mean, I guess that's part of human creation, right? Like, if we're going to create these companions, they're going to look like us. Mm -hmm. I think it's more important if it's, a, if it's a human companion as opposed to like a pet uh, even even the pet in Descender doesn't doesn't look like a dog. Makes a dog sound, and mm -hmm. is definitely cute in the way that you can apply cute qualities to machines. Mm -hmm. But is intentionally not humanoid or uh, dogoid, right? Yes. Well, that goes. Is that better or I? I just don't know if we have the technological capabilities right now to. It's, we can't bridge that uncanny valley gap, right? With with animals, you mean? With with artificial creation. Well, we can't right now, but we're talking about a society like thousands of years minimum in the future, even if if it's even like part of an offshoot of our existing society. So I don't think 
that that is a thing that I would question if the if the pet in Descender looked like a dog, I'd be like, oh, okay. There'd be a yeah. similar reveal with the dog robot, just like there was with the kid. But I sure. think it's actually notable that the dog doesn't look like a dog. That we that we don't need the non-humanoid AI to look real. Hmm. Yeah, it, I wonder if that will continue. In Descender or in... No, just in our society. Or just in our society as things progress. Hmm. Well... Because there have been, like, robotic, you know, dogs that have been made or there still are. You know, and they keep trying to kind of get that closer and closer. Yeah, but nowhere is that even close to being a replacement for the real thing. Fuck. Even a Roomba, the... the, the, (laughs) The sure. vacuum, it's not actually a replacement for a real vacuum. There are, right. even in that very simple task, there are things that you cannot have that robot do that you would need it to do to replace the real human-controlled thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious if technology can ever get to the point that will trick, that will kind of trick our minds. I, the Uncanny Valley point that you made is... Is like a separate but tangential problem because that has to do with perception and comfort. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, what makes Ada so uh, convincing at the very beginning before she's been unlocked in Alex and Ada is the fact that physically she is like exactly like a person. And on the outside. On yes. the outside, right? And so. So there is a inherent trust. And then as soon as you find out that she's not human, there's an inherent mistrust. And so there's a fine line there. The more you make something look like us, the more it's acceptable uh, like on the surface. Hmm. But I think it's the, simultaneously the more that, that some people will then be like inherently anxious about the, the presence of these like other these other beings that you can't really tell who is who or what they are yeah it's sort of the uh, it's the Blade Runner problem yeah absolutely absolutely so it seems like the the little I mean we don't know yet but the little boy in Descender uh, acts like and visually appears to be a, a human child but very quickly is established as not and so i think it'll be really it'll be really interesting to see hopefully we get some through like flashback about the way that those those models were were in were used in society before the like catastrophe that that we are introduced to in in this first issue uh you know obviously robots have an artificial intelligence in in general has has plummeted in like public perception and you know public support <laughs> after billions of people were fucking demolished. But right. but I think that that that's not quite uncanny valley. But I think it's very related to that problem. There's there's a point where it looks too real, and and there's a backlash because you can't make the distinction. Or it goes to. 
here's my question for both all these books like what what is the human responsibility for bringing sentience into creation like for to create something that is sentient then do we don't we have the responsibility to take care of it and protect it you mean like after the singularity occurs what's our what's our story but the singularity more refers to the the indistinguishable merging of of humanity and technology okay but that doesn't necessarily happen in any of these books it's just that it's just that humanity is is gotten to the point that our technology we've been able to create technology that can think on its own and is it it's almost like the kind of thing is like well if god decides to smite us because you know the creator created us that's that's there that's his uh that's you know that's his decision and that goes back to the whole free will thing it's like so like say alex and ada where where you know people want the the androids decommissioned because they're dangerous it's like well maybe we don't get to make that choice anymore it's just like executing an innocent man Hmm. you know because you don't you don't like them it's like this is a this is a thing that like uh like in a minority report or 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 any other science fiction story that uses the the potential for criminal activity as the basis for elimination like you get rid of the threat before it's a threat because then it's definitely never a threat right yeah, I mean, there's lots of books that take that, in, even within humanity itself. Right, right. So if we're responsible, though, for the creation of that threat, that's when it gets kind of yucky. Like, you bring something into being, and and then it has the potential for destruction, but it could not. Yeah. I Isn't mean, it's, that... I, I guess it's the same the same thing of... At what point does your crea- does the creation that you've made have its own responsibilities? How is that not like every child brought into the world? Well, that's that's my question. What's the difference? I, I, I agree with you. I think at a certain point there, at a certain point there is no difference. But I think that we are very very far from accepting that, like emotionally, there is no difference. Sure, like, intellectually we might be able to make like an an analogous hmm. comparison between creating life and creating artificial life. And, and there's and, there's a really good documentary coming out soon um that I think deals with this in a and I'm excited to see it. I can tell by the tone of your voice that you're being sarcastic, so go ahead and tell me what it is. It's called um Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the whole Ultron story is like, you know, at least in, in Marvel Comics is Hank Pym brings, you know, brings him into the, into creation and, and, you know, what has, uh, what has he wrought upon humanity? Right. And at what point is it not the creator's responsibility for the actions of the creation? I don't know. Like, I, we don't, we don't prosecute a, a parent for the actions of their child. Right. But, and for, you know, for different reasons, but gosh, you know, we're not, a parent isn't also responsible for all the components of their child too. Do you not think that that's sort of where we're potentially heading with Descender though? Because the, the big reveal is that this, the small 
child robot seems to be like his code seems to be the the origin of the the code of the huge massive robots that caused all of the death and destruction mm -hmm. uh you know that that big event across the galaxy can be potentially traced i mean that i think that's the conceit right can be potentially traced back to this this core code in this little child robot I think that it's very difficult to not look at the creator as being responsible or looking at the the origin of something so heinous and, and wanting to punish it in mm. some way or hold it responsible or or I, I don't know, just you want you want there to be retribution for that. It's a very human response, I think. But, right, but that what, does that speak to the uh, to the monstrosity of humanity or to everything does? Well, kind of. I mean, you know, because we want to destroy the other, or because we have the natural instinct to protect ourselves, should not our creations have the same instincts? Yeah. I and think is it unfair for them to? You know. But that's that's life. That's not just human. That's, yeah, it's th true. That's self-preservation. That's and I what guess that's, separates um, life from rock. True, and maybe that's that's as you know, technology evolves. That is the natural evolution and the extinction of humanity because we created a better us. That is that is interested in preserving itself. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So God is dead, and so are we. Man. Another all hail really how nine thousand depressing show. <laughs> well, every time I talk to you, it seems to be depressing. Aaron Myers, that is not true. Secretly, Don't worry, Andrea two point is going to be much more fun to talk to. Thanks. I'm and trying. It's still it's still in beta right now. <laughs> there, there's you a lot get of a little taste of it out. every once in a while. Like, yeah. da -da 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 -da. there's a problem with alcohol consumption. You but, keep um, perpetuating this, and it's just bananas. It's not true at all. We're working on it. It seems so integrated in the core code that we, we just can't work work around it. Okay. Our Are programmers are, are working on it, though. <laughs> when we take away the alcohol component, then it wants to kill. So. If you said caffeine, I would be so on board with that, <laughs> by the way. It's not as fun to It's to a lie. Say. Yeah. <laughs> Because the if caffeine, you were, caffeine if you were human, you would understand humor. <laughs> I had a horrifying headache for most of yesterday. I because you didn't drink twelve espressos. I don't drink espresso. We don't make espresso. Cappuccino. Nope. Mochaccino. Frappuccino. Nope. And one chinos? cup at a time. Pour over style. Authentic artisan Ugh. coffee. Ugh. Go ahead. <laughs> However, I do drink a tremendous amount of it most of the days. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's bad because you understand that caffeine is actually a drug and you the more you drink the more you are addicted to it Aw, honey it only took you like an hour before you started mansplaining do you do you understand how this works like <laughs> if you keep drinking coffee like you are you're going to just get crushing headaches <laughs> yep see also yesterday and maxing out on ibuprofen and being really miserable for most of the <laughs> afternoon <laughs> good serves you right you are you are now feeling the pain of your own creation, your own caffeine creation. <laughs> oh, look, you made it relevant. Yeah, I always do. That means I can't edit it out. Nope. 
<laughs> forever burned into the DNA of our show. I our, do th- our creation, our, our child. I do think it's really... Stop with that. <laughs> I, I do think it's notable that there are, there are a lot of books currently, and like there always have been, right? I think this is a big, big question in fiction, and is in science fiction is a is like a popular notion of artificial intelligence and the point at which it becomes smarter than the people and like creator versus creation, etc. But there are there are just like a lot of comics right now that are touching on this and. And that's cool because they're approaching it from a bunch of different angles. And so some of the ones that we talked about today, we, we were going to potentially talk about the names, which is heading in this direction, I think, as well. Uh, so I'm going to put in the notes, I'm going to put some other titles of other comics if you guys are interested in some other things being published right now that are dealing with artificial intelligence or sort of playing around with that theme. Because uh, it's it's good. It's a good conversation. It's good examination of like what makes you human and what makes you Aaron. You know. It does. Everything. I am the, <laughs> the sum of my my parts? inputs. Your your very many mechanical parts. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's end this nightmare. Man, you always just have to like bring it back down to how much you hate everything. Well, yeah, I've got nothing to say to that. (laughs) I I mean, you too, Aaron. Yes and yes. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Sure. Uh, Talk to you next week. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe to your books at your local comic book shop or subscribe to them digitally. Show notes, as I mentioned, will be on the website, comicstherapy.com. And yeah, we'll probably see you next week. But chances are, at the end of the month for Emerald City Comic Con, we may be a little spotty. We'll see. We'll try. Catch you later. Goodbye. Hey, now is the part of the show where you probably just got done hearing either Aaron talking about Inner Circle or something that upset the rest of the masses. And so probably actually half of the people aren't listening anymore because they went off to write hate letters to the show. Or, you know, possibly... Andrea was talking about how adorable she is, you know, in the same way that Dot from Animaniacs would. But I'm going to recommend a book here, um, or actually it's a webcomic that you can still go read. It's uh, Power Out by Nathan Schreiber. Um, It was available, and still is actually, you can go find it on activate.com. I will try to make sure that they throw a link in the show notes since... Anyone that's unfamiliar with Activate, there's a few hyphens in there that might make it a little hard to, to find. Um, but anyways, it's just a it's a coming-of-age tale of this young teenager. I'd say he's about 14 or 15 and kind of dealing with, you know, his budding sexuality and, and his relationships with both friends and his family. Um, you know, all he wants to be is left alone by his family and due to this gigantic power outage that you know is affecting at least the whole entire east coast it it happens it's sort of like a apocalyptic soft type comic i guess i would say um and it more centers on you know that that time in his life and you know the emotions and everything that he's kind of dealing with um, it beautifully drawn book. Uh, it's four chapters. I don't think the last two chapters ever got collected into print. 
I could be wrong about that, but I do know they are still all up to read online for free at uh, activate.com. Hey guys, this is John again. Um, I don't really have anything that I want to plug at the very end here. I guess if you guys have any web comics that you want to send me for recommendations to read, I'm always looking for those since there's about a billion and a half out there and it's so easy to miss some. So if you have anything like that, just hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. Um, I will be doing something later with the Loaded Dice Network, but that's still probably a couple months off. You know, hey, come talk to me on Twitter or... You know, however you communicate with people. If you don't do it on Twitter, just, I don't know, send me a nasty email. I didn't really give you my email address. So just send them out to all the email addresses that you know and hope it gets to me.